Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this episode of Sanity Cast is brought to you by the fact that 90% of Canadian truckers are fully vaccinated, and 100% of that 90% didn't play whiny little victim about it. Let's begin. Welcome back to the Sanity Cast. I'm John Fugelsang. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a little bitty podcast in the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Podcast Network that believes that depression is a disease, negativity is a habit, sanity is the opposite of Hannity, and if we're all in this together, then despondency is privilege. Now, this week's episode, before I even start, I want to dedicate this to Catholic Archbishop Joseph Nauman. Um, whether you're Catholic or not, you can relate to this story. Uh, I, of course, uh, was raised Catholic. I still consider that to be my asexual orientation. But um, this week, Archbishop Nauman said that Joe Biden should quit referring to himself as a devout Catholic because he's radically pro-abortion, which violates the uh, pro-life teachings of the Catholic Church. Nauman said that Biden should, I'm going to quote him, should stop defining himself as a Catholic. I guess he should let a right-wing archbishop define what kind of Catholic he is. But here's the deal. Joe Biden does acknowledge that his um, views on abortion are in opposition to the Catholic Church. But Joe Biden's views on abortion are in line with the majority of U.S. Catholics who don't want to criminalize abortion rights, who don't want to incarcerate women. Because we have to remember, no matter how sincere in your heart, your pro-life intentions are you're fighting to put women in jail. You will not end abortion. You will only end the safe and legal and regulated kinds. You are going to create thousands of new Dr. Kermit Gosnell butcher factories, and you're going to put women in jail, and doctors as well. And, you know, some states are already there. Look at Florida. I mean, they're pretty much, pretty much making it a great place for rapists who would like to be able to pick out the mother's of their children. You go, Florida. So here's the deal. Um, maybe you have the Catholic or, or uh, anti-abortion rights loved ones in your life who will buy into this. Maybe your Uncle Racist and Aunt Dead Inside are going to come over and say, Joe Biden shouldn't call himself a Catholic. Well, here's the deal. A couple simple talking points for this. Number one, uh, it's actually Archbishop Nauman who should stop defining himself as a Catholic because he is using the Eucharist as a political weapon which is um, blasphemy, and it is against the Pope's wishes. But here's the real deal. Jesus never actually opposed abortion. He never brought it up. He did oppose the death penalty, and these bishops will never condemn pro-death penalty politicians. Why? Because the bishop's real job is getting conservative religious people to give him their money. So abortion's popular here at, for the Catholics, so they will use this issue to get donations, but they'll never deny the Eucharist to a politician who opposes executing the sinner, which is something Jesus actually spoke about. And by the way, if there was no death penalty, who knows, Jesus might still be here. But, but you know, the, the archbishop said that Joe Biden declaring that he's Catholic and he's going to force people to support abortion through their tax dollars. The bishops need to correct him as the president is acting contrary to the Catholic faith. Again, people are having the death penalty supported by their tax dollars. And that is something, again, Jesus, who your religion is named after, actually talked about. Also, abortions are free in Israel. So let's hear you guys call for an end to foreign aid, huh? Also, uh, pro-abortion 
They'll say this all the time. Pro-abortion policies. No one is pro-abortion. They are pro not letting men make that choice for a woman. And finally, here's the deal. Um, The Pew Research Center poll last year found that 56% of American Catholics believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. 68% of Catholics in America said that Roe v. Wade should not be overturned, which 70% of U.S. adults also agree with. So the majority of U.S. Catholics support abortion rights. Archbishop Nauman will condemn Joe Biden for supporting abortion rights. Archbishop Nauman will never condemn the majority of U.S. Catholics for supporting abortion rights. Why? Again, his whole job is getting donations from American Catholics. And that's also the real reason why Archbishop Nauman is condemning Joe Biden. So um, this is a really good episode today. We have a very special guest, one of my favorite writers, and uh, he writes about sports, but he writes about life. He writes about politics. He writes about how the personal is political. Dave Zirin's one of the best writers on politics, and he does it through the prism of sports. For example, I hope you guys enjoyed the Super Bowl. Um, We're at a time now where you really can't disentangle racism from the NFL. So I was really excited about the halftime show. I wondered how they would address a lot of different issues. Because going into it, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and and Mary G. Blige, Eminem, uh, like Kendrick Lamar joining them, they have to do something that's going to be joyful, but it's going to have to balance joy with nostalgia and integrity and sheer entertainment value. And I think they pulled it off. I don't know what you guys thought, but um, I found it really entertaining. I thought they delivered on everything. A lot of artists I love a lot more had just very empty Super Bowl shows for me. I put this up there with Prince. I put this up there with U2 after 9-11. Just wonderful, very political, but very joyful. Did you catch the, the, the guys dancing in khaki prison fatigues? I mean, it was just amazing. Exactly what Beyonce did. And just like when Beyonce did it, uh, a certain few racists lost their damn minds. Now, this fellow Nick Adams, who calls himself Trump's favorite author, which is really funny uh, to brag about and stake your life on, because Trump doesn't read. But I don't know if you saw his comment where he tweeted, uh, Ted Nugent, Kid Rock, and Lee Greenwood would put on better halftime show than these hoodlums. (laughs) And I'm like, excuse me, wait, these hoodlums? I mean, wow hoodlums. I, I, I thought thug was what Megyn Kelly had set the standard as. Um, I, I'm not sure who Trumpy McClan face is talking about from those performers. Was he talking about the billionaire or the Oscar winner or the Pulitzer winner or the woman with nine Grammy Awards who was the first person ever nominated for acting and songwriting Oscars in the same year? Or is he talking about the one who does cooking shows with Martha Stewart? Maybe he's talking about 50 Cent, who did a song that Nick Adams has heard at every wedding he's ever gone to in the last 10 years. New York Post went crazy. They, they had an article, uh, Snoop Dogg Smokes Weed, right before star-studded Super Bowl halftime show. I, 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 I mean, I guess that's a better headline than Black Male Does Something 100% Legal in the State of California. I don't know. To me, the news is if Snoop Dogg doesn't, smoke weed before the halftime show, then report on that. So Dave Zirin's book is The Kaepernick Effect, and it's all about how Colin Kaepernick's choice of protesting social injustice through sports is still impacting our culture, in, in, sometimes in profound ways in small towns you've never heard of. A generation has learned to protest through sports. It is the ultimate book about how the personal is political, the Kaepernick effect. And if you read The Nation, you already know what a great, great writer Dave Zirin is, or if you watch him on MSNBC or CNN. So I I sat down with him in Club Med in Florida and had a great conversation about his book. And also after that, uh, a relentless onslaught of good news, because we need to balance all the relentlessly stupid and corrosive news. I mean, I, I enjoy Rudy Giuliani as clickbait in my culture. Uh, And by the way, did you notice how Mesars announced on February 14th they would not be Donald Trump's accountants anymore and that all of the accounting work they'd done for Donald Trump in the last year, last decade, should be discounted because they cannot consider it the truth? I mean, whoa, Mesars did this on February 14th to Trump. Like, Like, think about this. No matter how low your life gets, you will never hit this place. I mean, there's losing the popular vote twice. There's getting impeached twice, 
There's losing the White House, House, and Senate in two years. But friends, you have not hit rock bottom until you've been dumped on Valentine's Day by your accountants. Ooh, thoughts and prayers. So so if you enjoy Mazar not taking the fall for Trump, I say, good, sit tight and wait for Rudy Giuliani to make the same exact choice. We're hearing all these rumors that Rudy will fully cooperate with the January 6th commission. And I don't know why uh, Trump won't pay him. And uh, Rudy has essentially lost his law license because of Trump's lies. And uh, Rudy's son is running for governor, and Trump endorsed the guy running against Rudy's son. I mean, I I think he's been barred from practicing law at Mar-a-Lago altogether. For years, Rudy Giuliani was salacious crumb to Trump's job of the hut. And as fun as that would be, as fun as it is to focus on Rudy Giuliani clickbait stories, or Prince Andrew, if you will, uh, another hero. By the way, can I just praise Prince Andrew for one second? So generous of this man to give a settlement of millions of dollars to a woman he doesn't know for something he never did. I mean, lots of women I have never met and never done things to are out there, and I've never given any of them money for it. But Andrew is giving a settlement to a woman he doesn't know for something he never did with money he never earned. (laughs) That's the whole thing that keeps saying Prince Andrew's agreed to pay for this crime he claims he didn't commit. But no, he's agreeing to have UK taxpayers pay for a crime he didn't commit. He's walking away clean. He was right there on Jeffrey Epstein Island. There's photos of him, and he's walking away clean. I guess he he has paid a price. He's not allowed to have the title His Royal Highness anymore. Although I'm pretty sure he's still using that as his Tinder profile. But, I, you know, I'm, look, it's over. It's fine. Great. You know, Prince Andrew, we care because of the crown, I think. I'm glad Prince Andrew can put this behind him and get back to his important job of getting paid for doing nothing. But they are going to have to add a whole other season to the crown. Good God. And look, all that stuff's important, these gossipy little stories. But, like, COVID is still happening. And, and I know that we're all sick of it. And I've read so many stories about people who've just decided it's over. And I know so many people who've decided it's over. And we're still losing, as of this broadcast, about 2,400 American lives a day. It's almost a 9-11's worth of humans every day. For the second year in a row, we just found out COVID-19 was the leading cause of death among U.S. police officers. Like, a total of 458 cops died in the line of duty last year. It's the deadliest year for cop deaths in more than 90 years. It's a 55% increase from 2020. And felony assaults killed 84 cops, uh, including 62 killed with guns. 58 cops were killed in traffic-related incidents. But the majority of deaths for police officers were from COVID-19 because vaccinations have been a tough sell. And cops and unions are pushing back against mandates and threatening resignations, threatening lawsuits, I mean, in the three decades before this pandemic hit, the, the tally of cops killed in the line of duty went above 200 only twice in 2001 and 2007. The last time more than 300 cops died in a year was in 1930. And this year it was 458. And, you know, and but then the media doesn't cover that. The media covers the flu trucks clan in Canada. And and by the way, we cover the Canadian trucker convoy, but we're not covering the fact that Canada's whole plan to tax the unvaxxed is working. I, I wish we could div- give half the coverage we've given these jagoffs in their trucks who have confused tyranny with inconvenience and, and, and pay attention to what Quebec has done because they had a great idea. Instead of everybody paying for the selfishness of others, some paying with their lives, Quebec said, no, we're just going to make it simple. We're going to tax people who don't get their shots. And their their plan to put a significant health tax on anybody unvaccinated. And again, that's the majority of COVID-19 hospitalizations are unvaccinated people. The numbers don't lie, but Tucker does. It drove a wave of new appointments. The number of new vaccine appointments in Quebec shot up in the 48 hours after the announcement and hit record highs in the next few days. Quebec has had the most COVID-19 deaths of any Canadian province. And governments are allowed to implement policies to serve the public health during a crisis. Some would say it's patriotic. Some would say it's pro-life. When Quebec announced their plan for this tax, only about 10% of their population was unvaccinated. Only 10%. But that 10% of unvaccinated people makes up over 50% 
of all ICU cases. So yeah, it's pro-life, it's patriotic, and it's good for capitalism too. And one more thing, and I'll get to Dave Zirin. Um, this Republican civil war is just starting to come into bloom, and it's amazing to witness. I, you know, I, I'm still triggered very easily by the Democratic Civil War, the Bernie fans versus Hillary fans, the the fuck you for only agreeing with me on 85% of the issues Civil War. Yeah, that one. Remember, oh, it was awful. Oh, mom's friends are fighting grandpa's friends again. Ugh. Dems in disarray. Well, now the Dems are more in array, except for two of them, and they're going to have to find a name for the Republicans. Cons in chaos? That's terrible. No. Um, Trumpers in turmoil. I don't like that. Maga Michigas. I'm sure that, that'll catch on. But what I'm trying to say is, never mind that. The Republican National Committee just voted to censure Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger because they are serving on the House's January 6th committee, thereby making it bipartisan, making it harder to push lies. The RNC said that they were engaged in the persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. So put aside that this is Liz Cheney here. You know, we wait 20 years for a Cheney to get in trouble for lying, and finally a Cheney gets in trouble because they tell the truth. This, this what we're seeing is a major political party siding with terrorists who attack the U.S. Capitol. This is at the RNC winter meeting in Salt Lake City. And it, it just reaffirmed the National Party's blind obedience to the former host of Celebrity Apprentice. And that is now taking the form of defending the terrorists who attacked our capital. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene comparing Nancy Pelosi to Nazis <laughs> and the gazpacho police. Ooh, did you hear that? The gazpacho police. Yeah, that's... She meant to say Gestapo. She said gazpacho, which is very cold. And after she mentioned the gazpacho police, she called the she called Nancy Pelosi the uh, the minestrone of propaganda. So it was really awful. And by the way, uh, you know what her favorite soup is? New England clan chowder. I could go on. I might just make the whole podcast bad soup jokes. But let me let me shift to the Federalist Society because that's where Mike Pence appeared on the same day the RNC censured Kinsinger and Cheney. Mike Pence appeared before the Federalist Society. They're, of course, those people who pick all the right-wing Supreme Court justices who will make abortion illegal. You know, Donald Trump's election, no, it's the Federalist Society's election, and they hand him a piece of paper with the name on it. They pick him. And Pence said in front of the Federalist Society, the establishment GOP, that it was wrong of Trump to ask Pence to steal the election. And he got a standing ovation. And the media couldn't stop praising him. I mean, and then Pence came out and said the sky is in fact blue and CNN went crazy for his bravery. Can we stop praising Mike Pence for anything? Mike Pence stood by while January 6th happened. He waited 13 months to finally speak up about it. Cops lost fingers. Cops lost eyes. A cop went home that night and died after having a stroke. Cops were horrifically injured and Mike Pence said nothing. Mike Pence was in the middle of this conspiracy. And it was a conspiracy to end our democracy. And Mike Pence didn't tell anybody. He didn't call the media. He didn't call the FBI. Mike Pence hung around and waited to see which side would win. And when it became clear that it was not going to work, at the last minute, he came out and said Trump was wrong. He didn't care when they were trying to hang him. He didn't care about death threats. He waited to see which side would win. And he only did it because earlier in the week we found out that National Archives is going to turn over Pence's records to the January 6th committee. Then Mike Pence got brave. Then Mike Pence finally gave up on ever getting the support of people who want to hang him. You know, the only thing scarier than Mike Pence saving our democracy is Dan Quayle instructing Mike Pence on how to save our democracy. But the lines have been drawn. On one side, you've got the big lie Republican Party with Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Ronna McDaniel. On the other side, you've got McConnell. You've got Chris Christie. You've got Mitt Romney. And again, you know, those are the two sides. And they both have the same goal. That's the weird part about it. Just like when the Democratic Civil War. Fuck you for only agreeing with me on 85% of issues. Well, both these sides, the Trump side is the evil, selfish rat bastards. And the McConnell side is the evil, selfish, evil, selfish bashers, And they're both on the verge of a civil war. And I'm like, people, you've got so much progress, you can still obstruct together. Look, 
both sides of this Republican civil war want the same thing. They both want to redistribute wealth to the upper 1%. That's what they do. That's the only thing the Republican Party has done effectively in my lifetime. They make the rich richer, and then they use propaganda to outrage conservative white people while telling the conservative white people we're fighting for them. That's all they do. Umbrage for the non-millionaires, more money for the millionaires. And that's both sides. That's the goal of both these factions. One side of Republicans think we'll get to this trickle-down paradise by letting Trump just pass over. You know, just just let him go. Let him go away into history. He's going to be indicted. The right-wing people will still vote for us. We're the only game in town. Let's cut this guy loose. The other side thinks, no, no, we'll only get there to trickle-down nirvana by being loyal to Donald Trump's lies and carrying his enthusiastic voting base along with us. That's the two sides. And then there's Lindsey Graham, who I guess likes having it both ways. But January 6th is a good time to remember. The same right-wing politicians and media who claim it was really Black Lives Matter or Antifa on January 6th, they're also the ones who don't want it investigated. And I'm, I'm really glad our media is still covering the thugs and MAGA hats who tried to illegally overthrow democracy in the Capitol the day of January 6th. I would like the media to remember the thugs in bad suits who tried to legally overthrow democracy in the Capitol later in the day on January 6th. Because the Capitol rioters were just another bunch of con- contractors suckered into believing Donald Trump would reward them for their labor. It's not the deplorables, it's always the gullibles. And now the party's at war with itself over this lie. Trump will tear this party apart. Ron DeSantis is hoping Trump destroys himself, and Trump is hoping Ron DeSantis will be his running mate. <laughs> but this is the party. They went from Dick Cheney killing a million people for a lie to Liz Cheney killing her career as a Republican for the truth. But just remember, please, as we praise Mike Pence, as we praise Liz Cheney and Kinzinger, and remember, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, I applaud them for being on the committee. They've been very brave. They still want to criminalize abortion. They want to do nothing about climate change. They want to do nothing for poor Americans. They both still want to set back voting rights. They both still want to make the rich richer. But they won't lie about election 2020. So the RNC is punishing them for insufficient evil. Right now, the Republican Party might clean up at the midterms. It all depends on voter turnout. If there's low voter turnout, they will. But they're still lost in the wilderness. And they have no maps and they're cannibalizing each other. I say, let the Donald party be the Donner party. So Dave Zirin is the nation's sports editor, and he's written eight books on politics in sports, most recently Brazil's Dance with the Devil, the World Cup, the Olympics, and the Fight for Democracy. He was named one of Udney Reader's 50 visionaries who are changing our world, and he's on MSNBC and Democracy Now! and ESPN all the time. He also hosts the nation's Edge of Sports podcast, and you can always read his work or reach him through his website, edgeofsports.com. His book is so beautiful, The Kaepernick Effect, and he explores the ripple effects of this action. He also breaks apart the lies that Kaepernick was ever protesting the flag or the troops or the anthem, and why those lies stuck. It's a really smart conversation. I hope you enjoy the great Dave Zirin. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a Memphis bus, she was not acting impulsively. She had planned it. She was a trained activist, not a tired lady like we were taught. She had thought it through. And when NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick knelt down on one knee in 2016 to protest police violence and racism, he did not act impulsively either. Both of them, however, could never have predicted the ripple effects from their well-thought-out protests. And Dave Zirin is the nation's sports editor. He's the author of many books on the politics of sports. He's one of our favorites. You probably know him from his appearances on MSNBC, Democracy Now!, ESPN. He hosts the nation's Edge of Sports podcast. You can find all of his work or reach him through theedgeofsports.com. And in his new book, The Kaepernick Effect, Dave explores those ripple effects, both the lies we heard that Kaepernick was somehow protesting the flag or the troops or the anthem, the lies that stuck, 
But the other side of the ripple effect, how he inspired activists of all ages and backgrounds and all levels of American sports. Dave, it's very good to see you. Oh, it's great to be here. And how can I not make a plug after that introduction of a book called The Rebellious Life of Rosa Parks by Jean Theo Harris, one of the great history books. I'm just going to say right now, if you can buy one book, well, buy mine, but <laughs> if you got it, you need to buy two. Uh, Jean Theo Harris's book on Rosa Parks is brilliant. Well, I, I keep, you know, lumping them both together just because I, I've been so moved by how much thought and planning went into these seemingly random yeah. gestures they both pulled off. I mean, I was always taught that Rosa Parks was just tired at the end of a long workday and not that she was a trained activist. I thought the myth uh, was nowhere near as interesting and compelling as the truth. And in the case of Kaepernick, he could have raised a fist, mm -hmm. he could have given the finger, he could have just turned his back, but instead he genuflected in deference. Yes. And the wisdom of it uh, has, has always really stuck hard with me. Uh, we'll never know how much positive came out of the gesture because it wasn't something that was so openly defiant or negative. I know that he famously had a long conversation with another NFL player and a, and a Green Beret soldier who said, it'll be more meaningful if you mm -hmm. just refuse to stand. Yes. I mean, it's interesting, the Kaepernick saga, uh, how unexpected it was and how much it's exposed about this country. Uh, because when it started in August of 2016, Colin Kaepernick's decision was just to sit on the bench behind his teammates during the anthem. He was disgusted with uh, the killings of two men, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, that mm -hmm. had taken place over that summer of 2016. He was inspired by the movements that had been taking place that summer. He was inspired by the women of the WNBA who had been holding hands and wearing black T-shirts during the anthem. And so he was asking himself, what can I do? Well, I'm just going to sit. And he did it without sending a tweet. He did it without putting out a press release. And frankly, we might never have known that he even did this if it wasn't for a reporter named Steve Weish, uh, who Howard University graduate, uh, black journalist. This is a great argument for diversity in the newsroom because Steve was with a whole crew of NFL reporters who are overwhelmingly white. And they all saw Kaepernick sit, and most of them thought nothing of it, like he was just tying his shoelaces. But Steve Weish saw it. Steve Weish was clued into what had been happening over that summer. Steve Weish had been reading some of what Colin had been putting out on social media and made a beeline for Colin and said, okay, I saw you sit during the anthem. That had to be something. What was that about? And then Colin just went off about the need for police reform, about violence, about who gets caught and who doesn't, who has to serve time and who doesn't. He said there are bodies in the streets and people are getting away with murder. Now, after he said that, that's when you got the big first stage of the Trump backlash. And all of a sudden, you know, this is really against the flag. This is really against the troops. And then he did what you said. He talked to Nate Boyer. And I love what Nate Boyer has said about why they chose the knee. Because Nate Boyer said, look, you take a knee when you propose in marriage. You take a knee when you pray. You take a knee in sports when the coach wants to speak really seriously to everybody and says, okay, everybody take a knee. That's how you know the joking's over and it's time to speak seriously. And so Kaepernick was doing that as a show of deference to the ritual while at the same time showcasing his dissent exactly. to the gap between what this country says it offers and what it actually produces in the lived experiences, particularly of black and brown people. Uh, and it was such a miscalculation, a blessed miscalculation, because they actually thought that by taking a knee, it would mute the criticism. Yeah. Because it's like, look, I'm, I'm showing respect. I'm not sitting behind my teammates. I'm taking a knee in front of my teammates. I'm trying to really showcase what this country says it's all about, which is the right to dissent. And he found out the hard way that if people don't want to hear your message, they're not going to care how the messenger chooses to present it. But don't you think it would have been so much uglier and more harsh, <clears throat> excuse me, had he raised a fist or given the finger or turned his back? I mean, it, you know, I do think that we can't measure how much uh, more ugly the response might have been had well, he not done this. Well, this is why I love your show, John, because we get to really parry this stuff back and forth. Um, I actually think that by taking the knee, this gesture of, of respect, it actually freaked out the right wing more. Yeah 
than if he had raised a fist or turned his back. Because the taking of that knee, I think they realized immediately that this was dangerous to them and their agenda precisely because it has the ability to be replicated and the ability to spread. And that other people would see this as a gesture that they could do as well. And that other people would also identify with that, you know, seeming contradiction between respect for the ritual and demand that the country offer more than it does. And that freaked them out and that scared them. The knee scared them. There's something about taking a knee that then had this ripple effect that I don't think if he had turned his back or raised his fist, I don't think it would have had the same ripple effect. Yeah, Uh, it would have been dismissed. Yes. It wouldn't have been a threat. Exactly. So it was the ripple effect aspect that I think freaked out the right and also uh, inspired a generation of young athletes to say, I can do that too. I remember when I was very young going to see a Sinead O'Connor concert at the Garden State Arts Center. You were there for this? I was there for that. I was also there when they booed her at the Dillon Tribute. But I was at the Garden State Arts Center show, and we were all wondering, why hasn't she started? It's after 9.30. This show still hasn't begun. No one knew why she was starting so late. And it was a fine concert, and everyone loved it. It was early Sinead O'Connor. Great show. The next day, we saw the headlines that she had refused to come out if they were going to play the national anthem before her concert. And the response was shocking to me as a young person, the the ugliness directed towards her. And what shocked me the most, I think, about Kaepernick a generation later was it really pulled back the curtain on this large, large swath of white America led by Trump that, as I phrase it, um, they're more outraged by protests Mm -hmm. of racism and police brutality than they've ever been outraged at actual racism or police brutality. I mean, you can read through someone's tweet history and just see what angers you more, the violence or the protests of the violence. Yeah. What angers you more, the fire in the building or the person who points out the fire? Yeah. They don't like the person pointing out the fire. Uh, First, before we talk about that, Sinead O'Connor, just do you remember um, who the artist was who came out and showed her solidarity? It was Chris Christopherson. Yes, it was Chris Christopherson. And by the way, I'll never forget that. I met her before the show. I was backstage. I was very young and I had had actually scammed a guest pass at the Dylan Tribute Show in 92. It was crazy. I was just this kid hanging out and there's George Harrison and Tom Petty. (laughs) And I, I talked to Sinead and I told her that my mom had been a nun. My father was a Franciscan. And I thanked her for her protest. Uh, because originally why they all hated her was that she called out Pope John Paul for letting priests Mm. get away with sexual abuse, and that really angered people in 1992. Mm -hmm. And I'll always say this, Dave, if she had started to do the song, that crowd would have let her finish because a lot of people in the crowd were cheering for her. They weren't all booing. Mm. And and she she was supposed to play I Believe in You, one of Dylan's most beautiful Born Again songs. And, uh, And she went off crying into Chris Christopherson's arms. But I'll, I'll always believe that that had she begun doing the song, that crowd would have let her do it. Um, wow. And I remember being most disappointed in, in Bob. The night was about him. It's not his job to stand up for her. But uh, these things really, really hurt her entire career. And a generation later, she's been proven so right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to not think Kaepernick's going to have the same trajectory. Yeah, and I can say as someone who was a teenager during the rise of Sinead O'Connor, I think one of the reasons also there was this anger against her was because she was gender confusing at a time. Right. I mean, the shaving of the head, shaving which the now head. seems like nothing, like Miley Cyrus can show up with a shaved head and no one will blink. Oh, yeah. That was huge at the time. She's still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Unbelievable. I mean, Lion and the Cobra came out in 87, and she's still not in the Hall of Fame. <sighs> wow. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, it's very interesting. You ask the question of how will he be regarded in the future. You know, there's that expression that unfortunately has far too much of a ring of truth that history is written by the winners. Mm-hmm. I really think the way Kaepernick will be remembered, it's all going to depend on whether or not we're able to push forward on these questions for racial justice or whether we're going to be defeated and pushed back by the right wing, the Supreme Court, the return of Trump, this whole revanchist, anti-so-called critical race theory uh, garbage, all of that. If that actually is able to hold Hold sway. Colin Kaepernick will be a small photograph in your Texas now approved nationally history textbook, and there won't even be a caption under the photo. Uh, oh, I think God. they would. I think they would give him a small photo with no explanation uh, in, in our in our Texas textbooks. Um, say that quickly three times. But the, the one thing that 
I feel hopeful about is that if our side does win, I think the history is going to be remembered in a way that's much bigger than Colin Kaepernick. Oh, yeah. It's going to be remembered as a signpost that did inspire a generation and change sports on a molecular level to the point of which when there is protest now, people are asking on college campuses and in high schools, what are you going to do about it? I get, um, since the book came out, I get emails on a weekly basis from a small town or a school or uh, Penn, which this is happening right now at Penn in the, in the Ivy Leagues, uh, University of Pennsylvania, about athletes who are sitting or taking a knee during the anthem because of racist incidents on campus, in one case because of homophobic incidents right. on campus, I mean, um, or in their school. I mean, so, so th- there's this sense of people saying, okay, you know, from with great uh, responsibility, with with great power comes great responsibility. We've handed all of this power to youth athletes in terms of being uh, role models or uh, or big people on campus, usually big men on campus, and all the rest of it. And instead of like, certainly when I was growing up, you sort of sit back and they just get to be sort of like the cool kid. There's this new kind of demand on them, which I think is really healthy, which is, okay, if we're going to praise you and cheer for you, we also expect you to stand with us. That's what your book's about. Yes. I mean, what the most wonderful thing is that the book is not about the global. It is about the local. Mm -hmm. And you have found these wonderful stories that you have fleshed out so beautifully. I mean, you're, you're just, I mean, besides the morality of your work just the the skill and craftsmanship of your prose is just always a delight but i mean these these high school kids in in you know in minneapolis who who took Mm -hmm. a knee this cheerleader who did it by herself this this one um black student athlete in a mostly white town in Mm -hmm. uh in new york state who saw a confederate flag being flown and and launched this protest i mean he he was the one who affected me the most yeah because you think about upstate new york of course the cradle of the confederacy well i always say about upstate the more north you go the more south it gets Ooh, nice one that that, and i'll i you see you just quoted yourself brilliantly no that's great i can only quote uh malcolm x he said you know the american (laughs) south begins at the canadian border which (laughs) well I'm I'm a I'm a stand-up, so I'm just nothing but self-referential. No, that's that's awesome. But yeah, but it's it's really true. I mean, and and how scary for this kid to see. Yeah. I, I've seen Confederate flags flying in upstate New York. Ugh. It, it's it's part of the Fox News 50 state Southern strategy that you now see this flag get um, adopted throughout the country, and it's it's a sign of how reactionary it is. I think uh, what these young people are saying is that you know they're not going to settle for the bullshit for lack of a better term, that they actually want to see a different kind of world. And I think if we paid more attention to the, and I'll include myself in this as a sports writer, um, more attention to these protests in 2016, 17, 18, 19, I probably wrote five articles, even though there were hundreds of stories, I think we would have been less surprised by everything we've seen in the last year, this revanchist, yes. racist uh, backlash to the protests of 2020 after the police murder of George Floyd. Here's what I struggle with, and maybe you can help me with this. Um, I admire Kaepernick immensely. I admire the work he's done off the field, uh, the way that he has bought suits for men to go and have job interviews, the way he's you know spent money to help people just get resumes and uplift themselves, uh, the dignity he's shown in the injustice of being frozen out of the NFL. But to me, when he decided to not show up and vote in 2020... Mm-hmm. He was also saying that he was fine with letting Donald Trump pick every judge that would choose the cops over the accused, that would choose power over the downtrodden. And it's really been hard for me um, to, again, I don't demand a purity test of any public figure, Mm -hmm. but my respect is always going to be held in check a little bit for the Mm -hmm. fact that Colin Kaepernick signed off on letting Donald Trump pick all the judges that will side with the cops over the accused. You see, this is where we get to a critical difference between Rosa Parks and Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Rosa Parks, I would argue, was an all-time great person, somebody who backgrounded herself for years, somebody who went into the darkest corners of the Jim Crow South to investigate the rape of black women. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine such a thing, knocking on doors in the late 40s? to investigate rape, the rapes of black women, which were epidemic uh, in, in the South. Colin Kaepernick reminds me more of the line in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, where it's, I'm going to mess it up, but it's like, some are born great and some have greatness thrust upon them. You know, this was something that I don't think he ever thought would explode the way it did. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever thought 
he'd be asked questions like he was uh, uh, a, a political figure of, of note, like he was being asked questions about U.S. policy towards Cuba. That's he right. was being asked questions about homeless vets. And he's like, I just want to see police brutality to stop. And I think the voting stuff really did uh, catch him at a point where <laughs> I think the voting stuff uh, caught, caught him at a point where he was not uh, politically positioned to answer and deal with that effectively. Now, I just say that um, to be generous to the fact that he was put in a situation, the likes of which is very difficult for me to understand. Of and course. I... Um, I'll never forget, I had this conversation with uh, Dr. John Carlos, 1968 Olympian. That was my next fist, question, yeah. Did it, we did a memoir together, and a uh, very close friend, and John said something that's really stuck with me about Kaepernick, and it, it forces me to be in sort of a charitable mindset. Like John says, you know, I raised my fist uh, during the anthem. It took about a minute and a half, and I've had to carry that on my back for 50 years. Colin Kaepernick demonstrated for four straight months, like I, on a weekly basis in hostile cities. I can't imagine what that does to a person. And so I try, I try to just keep that in mind, that he stayed consistent for an entire season and then lost his career. And I don't know what that necessarily does to somebody. And I wonder if it, to paraphrase the quote from the 1960s, I wonder if that breaks one's American heart. Yeah. It's a beautiful way of putting it, and I think it's really wonderful that you closed the book talking to John Carlos. Mm -hmm. I want to quote him. Um, he said, love thyself, love thy neighbor, set a precedent, and let them know that we are not the negative force in society. We are the positive force. Mm -hmm. I do feel quite comfortable when, you know, Donald Trump never called any corporate criminals sons of bitches, mm -hmm. never called any cops who murdered people sons of bitches, mm -hmm. only nonviolent protest on a football field, we're called mm -hmm. sons of bitches. It, it seems inevitable that Colin Kaepernick will be regarded positively by history. Yes. Uh, I just worry that the revanchist right uh, will be powerful enough to smite that history. Uh, not to go off on a tangent, but I just got back from Barcelona. I was yeah. there for nine days. Um and Barcelona, of course, was the center of the Spanish Civil War, of resistance to Franco and the fascists, uh, 1935, 1936, 37. And, and they, Americans went over to fight on the side of, 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 of the Republicans, small-R Republicans, yeah. against the fascists. They were called prematurely anti-fascist by the State Department in terms of uh, making it difficult for them when they came back to the States. When you go to Barcelona, you might expect to see a museum about their heroism in resisting fascism. You don't. You might expect to see a statue. You don't. You actually have to go into the corners of the city in places like used book and music shops to find any commemoration right. of what they did. And why is that? Well, it's because Franco stayed in power till the mid-70s. Yeah. and. It buried what they did for 40 years, and now no one wants to talk about it, or it emerges like little green shoots between the cracks in a, in a sidewalk. And so I do think Colin Kaepernick should be regarded positively by history. I worry about what the right wing will do to rob us of that history. If Dr. King hadn't been shot and lived to be 90, they'd be still calling him a communist. Absolutely. No doubt in our minds about that. And... and so this was mentioned um, to me earlier uh, this weekend that we're here together, that uh, it, it's particularly stunning that Muhammad Ali dies in June of 2016. He's praised to the heavens by the entire media, left to right, Republicans, yeah. Democrats. Uh, and just a couple months later, Colin Kaepernick takes a knee in that sports and politics tradition and is derided across a lot of the political exactly spectrum. as Ali was yes so it's like did we learn nothing or do we only praise people once they're safely in the rearview mirror so what's giving you hope these days Dave honestly I started writing this book in a spirit of hopelessness <laughs> the Kaepernick effect because the pandemic was just getting started my kids are home during remote schooling 
Uh, my, my wife's a teacher, so she's teaching from home. It's, it, was, it felt like things were not coming together in a way that I wanted to see for this country and for this world. And then I start interviewing these young people, and I really sort of started to get my head around that the, this generation is more demographically diverse and less tolerant of intolerance than any generation in the history of the United States. And I think history that's, of the species. In the history of the species, species. yes. And I think that's going to pay off in the years to come. So I'm very hopeful. I'm excited about what the future is going to bring. What is next for you, sir? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I'll tell you something. There's a uh, Showtime is doing a five-hour documentary about the life of sports sociologist Dr. Harry Edwards. And they asked me to produce one of the segments for it that's based around the Kaepernick effect, where I interview the young people who are in the book. So that's next on the agenda. I got to tell you, I love that you wrote this book. And we just had Ken Burns on talking about his Ali film. And to Mm. look at how Ali's point of view is not controversial. Right. To our, I mean, I, I, view, I view the draft Dodgers as being Bush and Cheney and Trump and mm-hmm. Limbaugh and Gingrich. The people who could have gone, supported it, chose not to go. Muhammad Ali was not a draft Dodger. He was a draft defier. Mm. Even Bill Clinton. And it, it filled my heart with so much hope to see the accolades of everyone for his bravery mm. back then and for the hit he took for pure morality. If he was just about the money, he would have kept his mouth shut. And it makes me just feel like, okay, we get it. It takes a long time, but eventually it comes around and we get it. You know, when I went to Louisville for Ali's funeral, uh, my cab driver was going just from the airport was a Vietnam veteran sniper with tons of memorabilia of a lot of it extremely right wing, some of it very disturbing in his cab. Uh, And I had to Sorry. And I, I had to ask him, I had to ask him, um, what do you think about Muhammad Ali and this funeral that's happening in your town, you know, given your history and your politics? And he said, oh, I loved Ali. And I said, well, why did you love Ali, given everything that he stood for seems so opposed to what you stood for? And he said, because he was brave. And a lot of people weren't brave during that time. And I'll always respect people who stand up for themselves. I actually believe that. I believe that, you know, the smartest thing Democrats can do is appear brave and fearless to conservatives. Yes, I agree, because that inspires people uh, to hope for a better world. And without that hope, I don't see how you build a movement from our side. And that's the real difference, is that I feel like the revanchist right in this country, it's not a movement based on any kind of hope. It's a, it's a movement based on fear. It's a movement based on looking backwards. It's a movement based on oppressing voices. It's a movement based on using the state it's to not oppress even based voices. on ideology. Yeah. 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 And um, we, have to, we can't operate that way. Uh, we need to operate from a basis of hope. But you can't have hope unless uh, political leaders are putting out the kinds of demands that make people feel that another world is possible. Dave Zirin is one of the best authors about morality in America. The new book is The Kaepernick Effect, and it makes a very inspiring gift. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you, John. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Thank you again, Dave Zirin. Okay, so I understand it's bad out there. Life's rough. We all need a Zoloft smoothie. Here's an onslaught of good news that didn't get a ton of coverage or only got coverage for a minute or so. But you got to remember, no matter how bad it gets, you're still having a better 2022 than Donald Trump. Okay, and you're going to have a better year than Matt Gates, So don't let it get you down. The National Archives is going to turn over Pence's records to the House panel investigating the Capitol riot. DirecTV is going to drop OAN. The Ohio Supreme Court rejected the Republicans' gerrymandered congressional map. North Carolina Supreme Court just gave the Democrats one of their biggest legal victories over redistricting and gerrymandering. The North Carolina Supreme Court struck down the GOP map that would have given Republicans control of 11 of the state's 14 
districts. There's good things happening. A woman just got cured of HIV using umbilical cord blood, and she's the third person ever to be cured. And it really signifies an amazing new way to fight the virus because she's mixed race and she'd already been given the treatment for leukemia. The treatment came from a partially matched donor, which is very uncommon because usually a donor has to match the same race and ethnicity of the patient. In this case, it was a woman who was mixed race and they were able to do it because she was biracial, which just opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Um, And it was a, a man whose bone marrow was able to go to a woman as well. So that's exciting. And this was just 2021, the year that low-wage workers finally got real bargaining power and used it to get big pay increases. And because of the work we saw last year on a true ground roots level, so many states and cities are now beginning to make a lot of these advances into law. As of New Year's Day this year, 21 states and 35 cities and counties were set to raise their minimum wages on New Year's Day. This is according to a report by the National Employment Law Project. And besides California and New York, nine states went to a $15 pay base over the next four years. Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Virginia. I love all those states. I salute you. They will join the 50 different localities that are already at $15 or on the way to $15 an hour, including D.C., Minneapolis, and Chicago. So, come on. There's there's lots to stay riled up over. I'm not an optimist. I'm a recovering cynic. And I want to thank you for listening today. I want to thank Chris Lavoie of the Stephanie Miller Podcast Hive. Uh, please listen to our show on SiriusXM every night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. West Coast, or listen on the SiriusXM app or on demand. We have lots of great celebrities and journalists and comedian guests. Uh, also, I'm on Instagram at John Fugelsang. Please write us either at johnfugelsang.com or uh, through our Facebook page for Tell Me Everything on SiriusXM. And also, um, watch Caffeinated, our web series. That's on the Political Voices Network on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, labor is prior to and independent of capital. Capital is only the fruit of labor and could never have existed if labor had not first existed. Labor is superior to capital and deserves much the higher consideration. So says Abraham Lincoln, the first Republican president. See you next time.